So today is January 2nd. So I thought I would read some uh, statements from Nisargadatta, Consciousness in the Absolute. And this is from January 3rd, 1981. <laughs> he says, beingness has a quality to become whatever you think of. Beings. Think about it a second. If we think about flying, we'll have some of the experiences of flying. If we think about walking, we can walk and we'll see the things that we walk by, so forth and so on. If we're thinking of we're sitting down at the computer, we're thinking about someone we haven't thought of. We think about writing them an email, sending them a message. Even before we form our full thoughts, that which we're about to think of sometimes appears before us. At really deep levels of Wu Wei, we have extremely subtle intuition, call it premonition, if you would, an intuitive premonition. You'll have a project to do and it's due the following day and you haven't even started the research and your premonition will be that you don't even need to and it will show up a few minutes later or when you wake up the following morning. All the research that you need to do will be in your hands. This is what Guru Nanak refers, refers to as being in the court of the Lord, being blessed, fully blessed while you're in the court of the Lord. And it's simply a later stage of Wu Wei, which all of us can achieve. It's not just sitting on the cushion that allows us to go deeper. It's applying the wisdom that we have to our lives, to the actions in our lives, silently, effortlessly flowing in silent wisdom throughout our lives. This is beingness, which has the quality to become whatever you think of. Whatever concept you feed to the consciousness, says Nisargadatta, the consciousness will provide you with that at later stages, not so much in the beginning, but at later stages. Doesn't matter what the task is, the Nothing's impossible in spirit. Absolutely nothing is impossible. Everything is within the realm of possibility. That's why he says, whatever concept you feed to your pure awareness, that 
pure awareness, that consciousness will provide you with that. Whatever you hold on to intensely, you are bound to be that. That is the quality of your consciousness. Thus, you should never think that you are the body. Consciousness alone feels the expanse of consciousness. What is the expanse of consciousness? When and where do we feel consciousness expanding? In the first bubble of awareness that we fall into, accidentally, usually the first time, it's an expansion in the vibrance, in the clarity, in those types of qualitative aspects of consciousness. As we learn to stay in that bubble longer and longer, we also realize that our, our aura, our breadth and depth of the field of consciousness is much larger than before. It'll start out the size of, uh, I don't know, a large beach ball, you know, like that. <laughs> Then it's the size of a small room, and the size of a small house. Then it just gets larger and larger and larger. When we pass the crown chakra, and we all will, it's inevitable. The size of your consciousness is phenomenal because you're in the macrocosm now, not just the microcosm. And you'll look out into the cosmos, say, when you're in the uh, crown chakra. If you haven't been attracted to the Sahaj portal, you'll be waiting, waiting, waiting for the face of divine consciousness to appear. But until it appears, if you look out, outside of you, from the center of your awareness once in a while, you notice that your consciousness is beyond description. It's so large. You, you cannot measure it. You cannot conceive of how great a field of awareness that you have. It's utterly phenomenal. Utterly phenomenal. And as you start doing these trillionaire meditations that so many saints have recommended, Can you imagine how many souls are available to your consciousness for you to connect with when you can see millions of miles at a time? If there's a hundred trillion souls in a single sentient being, I, the numbers are just funny, funny numbers, silly numbers. You can't calculate that many pretty, very easily. I don't think there's a mathematical expression that could define that number of souls that you can interconnect with at beyond the crown chakra. Whatever is known by pure consciousness, by clear awareness, he says, 
is in the field of consciousness. That which is within your field of consciousness is known to you. Say that sentence forward and backwards it has the same meaning, the same expression. The consciousness and the knowledge will subside when the mind body floats away. The absolute awareness always remains, even if you don't have a body. This is why some saints and teachers are so firm about the fact that the higher regions are outside of the body and that consciousness is immortal. Because you can either die, physically die, and still be in full awareness after you've made progress. Or you can simply reach the crown chakra and your body would disappear and you'd still be in full consciousness. Either way, it is self-apparent, immediately self-apparent that Consciousness is a state of immortality. Pure awareness, clear awareness, celestial awareness is, a, is immortal. And in that awareness, and, this, and we realize that beyond the crown chakra, fully realize it as it is. We realize these things as we're experiencing these things beyond the crown chakra. This is why someone can ask a saint a certain question about a certain region. And their answers are immediately, the responses are immediate. And the detail is in depth. And that's because that saint is there. The minute you ask him about what is there, they're there for you, with you, inside of you, showing it to you from the inside out. We all have that absolute awareness, which is why any of us, when we reach those higher levels, will be able to talk and communicate at a soul-to-soul -soul level. It's automatic. We're doing it all the time anyways, even if we don't realize it. That's why this feedback loop within the satsang is so strong. Sometimes, you know, we sit for satsang and the meditation immediately rocks you. <laughs> it's not me, it's not you, it's everyone in the satsang that does this for us. Such a, such a joy. So he continues to say, the absolute always remains. We just melt into it, out of our minds and into that, which is immortal and absolutely amazing. The seed of knowledge, he says, in other words, the seed of wisdom, is planted in you by these talks, and now you have to follow it up. Yeah, we have no choice. You see, he's saying the same thing we just said. When we discuss these really deep wisdom, at a soul-to-soul -soul level, 
The wisdom is never forgotten by your soul. Never forgotten. Will exist throughout your entire life. Throughout your journey to the next life and for hundreds of lives thereafter until it's fully experienced. And this is how it works. Eventually, he says, you must nurse it, ruminate over it, so that the tree of wisdom will grow. You'll go deeper and deeper and deeper into these wisdoms all by yourself. January 4th, 1981, a disciple says, I was pondering what Maharaji said about all consciousness being the same this morning, and just for a few seconds, it was as if everything was one, and I was behind it. Is this the aim? And he says, Maharaji says, that is not the aim, but it is so. In caps, it is so. It is there, and it is only because of identity with the body that you don't feel it. You don't experience it as it is. Please understand that there is only one thing to be understood, one thing, and that you are the formless, timeless, unborn awareness that exists as the source of all consciousness. You already are that. However, it is because of your identification with the body as an entity and your that your consciousness, which is universal consciousness, thinks that it is dying. But nobody is dying because in fact, nobody was ever really born. That's a tongue twister. What does he most likely mean by this? If consciousness is eternal, which it is, when you reach the source awareness, you realize that you can stay in that awareness long, long, long after the time frame of any reasonable life frame of any sentient being. You can stay, abide flawlessly, brilliantly, blissfully, not just for 50 years or 100 years, but thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions and even trillions of years in Nirvana. Immortal, immortal. If you then enter another body, you don't forget who you were in your previous body. And you are wide awake during the journey from one body into another body. The concept of birth and dying is just foolish, becomes foolish. And every one of you has experienced that in this life, whether you know it or not. 
when you go from one level of consciousness and awaken to another level of consciousness, you have a new conscious body. You have a new set of experiences to experience that are different than the experiences you, that you could experience in the previous level of consciousness. Thus, even with the simplest example, when you are asleep at night, but you wake up as the dreamer, you have one body. All of a sudden you wake up in the morning and you realize, oh, I'm in a different body of consciousness. Also a different physical body. What is a physical body? Is it really any different than the dream body that we had in, as the dreamer? We, the tactile uh, expressions of that body are more coarse. It's more physically jarring, more physically perceptive. We can hear our voice with greater clarity. We can, can't always see things with more clarity, but we can see in 3D instead of just 2D. And we can have more of a sense of time, more of a sense of 4D reality. But nonetheless, you see, we have survived immortally during the transition from one body of awareness and also a body itself to another sense of mind-body awareness without ever dying or without ever being reborn. When a person naturally dies at the end of their physical life, some people simply go through the third eye, which is dark, and then it's light at the end of the tunnel, and they really just entering, starting to enter that first bubble of consciousness that we can go to while we're alive. And so they don't get that full feeling of being immortal. But if we practice dying while living, if we practice bringing our consciousness up to the third eye and going beyond the third eye while we're alive, you see, we're really going from one body of consciousness to another body of consciousness. And it continues ad infinitum, ad infinitum. When we get to the creative vortex, and we're watching the creative process that is us. There's no difference between you as consciousness as the creative vortex and as a creative process. And, and yet still there's no difference between you and what you create. And what you're constantly creating is different mini-me copies of yourself. As stars, sometimes as sentient beings as well. Mini-me copies of yourself. Are those new souls born anew? Not if you're the consciousness of both source consciousness and the consciousness of the soul that is seemingly born anew. Nay. In that state, there's but one consciousness and nothing is born anew. 
when it, it's simply a different version of going uh, to the crown chakra and then waking up in multi-dimensional awareness. You, you are immediately in five, six, seven, 10, 12, 15, 20, whatever. You're in a number of different locations as separate but interconnected bodies of awareness, bodies of consciousness. And in each and one of those other bubbles of consciousness, you're rapidly expanding, or you could say you're exploding. Um, your consciousness is expanding so fast that it feels like if you if you think you think of yourself as being reborn, it'll feel like you're being reborn a hundred times a microsecond. Your consciousness is expanding so fast. Your bliss is expanding so fast. The light is expanding so fast. But it's just an expansion of consciousness. It's all it is in multiple locations of your own consciousness. Now, once you've reached the level of the creator and you come back and you re-experience the crown chakra, multi-dimensional experience, you can float as a singular consciousness in these multiple bubbles of consciousness that are all rapidly expanding at the same time. <laughs> consciousness is immortal. We're never really born and we never really die. Maharaj, Nizargadatra says, it is so. <laughs> Please understand that there is only one thing to be understood, and that is that you are the formless, timeless, unborn celestial awareness. It is always that. You are always that, and nothing more and nothing less. It is only because of your identification with the body that an entity with your consciousness, which is universal consciousness, otherwise thinks that it is dying. It's only because of the attachment to mind-body awareness. Nobody is dying because nobody was actually ever born. <laughs> True saying. You, you, you can't say these things unless you've reached the ultimate consciousness. So these are gems. He goes on to say the millions of forms are the manifestation of the one awareness. In three seconds of existence in the creative vortex, you will have created millions of mini-me copies of yourself. Millions, millions and millions every microsecond. In the crown chakra, we're only creating 10, 12, whatever, 20, 30, 40, 50 copies of ourselves when we first reach the crown chakra. But when we reach the creative vortex, sat locus, it's called by the Sikhs. Oh man, every microsecond, boom, thousands of planets and solar systems, millions upon millions upon millions of new souls, copy, carbon copies of yourself, fractal copies of yourself. 
Just imagine, he says, if all the millions of forms which have been created were still there, <laughs> how could other forms be created? It is because consciousness is unborn and undying that the millions of forms get created and destroyed. It's simply a continuous process. It's a continuous process of evolution into a greater scale, you would say, of consciousness, into a greater level of conscious awareness, crystal awareness, celestial awareness. We have different types of bodies over time. We worry sometimes that as a human, we don't know what's going to happen after we die. Will we become another human? Will we ever come back? Oh, my goodness. You know, if we were just be able to look backward and see every form that we've ever been, we'd see thousands of different types of forms. Thousands of different types of bugs, even. Plants, worms, birds, fish, and now, now human beings. Hundreds of different types of human beings so that we can experience every experience that must be experienced before we get tired of the whole play, till we get tired of the drama and start to look within. It's all simply part of the evolutionary process that enables us to help expand the overall consciousness and clarity of consciousness of the cosmos. And this is what this Argadatta is getting at here. He says, please understand that what you are is this unlimited universal consciousness, totally unlimited. You are that, every one of us is that. We don't have to be reborn to find it. We don't have to meditate 24 hours a day to find it. Although we'll actually end up doing that before we find it. But it happens much easier than you can imagine. He says, only that in which consciousness manifests itself is limited and created and destroyed. If we manifest ourselves in a body and we think of ourselves as a body, then yes, we'll lose that body at some point in time. But the consciousness never disappears. What we really truly are never disappears because it never appeared it always was. This is a hard concept for most humans to understand that pure awareness is, is unbelievably immortal. It's once one has developed the ability to abide in nirvana, and you know, the first time it's a few seconds, a few, then a few minutes, then a few days, and but eventually a few months and then years and then decades and thousands and then millions and then billions and then trillions of years over many lifetimes and as a saint. But once you've learned to do that, you can wake up and at the start of a new cosmos and you can say, oh boy, I've done this a few times. Four or five, six, 10 times, whatever it is, you wake up when there is no when there's nothing else that exists except this massive field of consciousness. Nothing else that exists except that. 
Only that in which consciousness manifests itself, he says, as something else other than consciousness, is itself limited and is itself seemingly created and destroyed. But the total potential of consciousness itself, celestial awareness itself, remains unlimited. And very specific here, he says, the potential. This goes back to the fact that we always have a extremely subtle intuition, a precognition, if you would. Precognition is different than intuition. Precognition is when you have a sense, a very strong sense of a thought that's going to occur or a sense of existence is going to occur before it actually happens. Much different than intuition, much deeper than intuition. Precognition, you can deep within precognition, precognitive abilities, you can see cycles that are decades long, lifetimes long. You can see very, very long cycles as if it's all part of your present consciousness. That's where we're going, my friend. That's what we really truly are right now, all of us. He says, you are seeking knowledge from the standpoint of identification with the body and whatever can be grasped by the mind. Thus, when this body-mind awareness, this body-mind machine is there, the technique of using it is also there. And this is what and why you are identifying with the body now. But this is not your true identity. You actually have no control over the most subtle aspects of the body. By the way, it will appear and it will disappear as well. When we get to higher levels, it does appear and disappear. It comes and goes every microsecond. We just, human mind can't sense these types of changes when it's depending on the mind itself to paint things many many microseconds show, showing us pictures that it's painted microseconds after the actual event has happened when we can get to the when we can slow things down and stop looking at what's been created we can look at things as they are created in the mind and then we can see the creation and dissolution of the body constant creation dissolution of the body. It's like an oscillation of existence. Consciousness doesn't change. Your sense of immortality's awareness doesn't change. It's really eerie. You could be walking and people might be looking at you and they see a body and then they they blink because, I don't know, your body is kind of fuzzy all of a sudden. 
Yeah, it's happened that way. January 7th, 1981, a disciple says to Miss Agadatta, every time something happens now, instead of getting involved in it, I am seeing that everything that is, is my I am, am awareness, I am experiencing that. And this Agadatta Ji says, witnessing takes place, but there is really never anything to be done. It is total freedom for one who does not identify with the body. This is what we've talked about so many times in when first stage of Wu Wei, being a silent observer. This is the most important lesson. We don't learn it the first time we're a silent observer, but we eventually learn that there's nothing really to do as a silent observer. Because the mind will do it all for you automatically. Automatically. And he's saying it very subtly here to his disciple. This is just the first stage of Wu Wei. Letting the mind do everything automatically for you in the world will do literally do everything. Everything, everything, everything. Don't need to do anything different ever again. As if we stay in that level of consciousness. It's only when we drop out of that consciousness that we think we need to do something. When we leave states of pure awareness and replace and allow ourselves to replace that state of pure awareness with a mind-body awareness, then it's within that mind-body awareness that we think we need to do something because the minute we are in mind-body awareness, we think we are in a state that can be demolished, that can die. And because we don't want to die, we say to ourselves, well, if I'm in that state, then I have to do something to stay alive. Because if I don't stay alive, I can't enjoy the things I desire. And I also can't run away from the things that I fear. We literally have these feelings. They come come in and out and, and so fast that we don't realize we're having these feelings when we go back into mind-body awareness, but they're there. It's, it's a really fast presentation of many, many layers of concepts and identification with what we've experienced and have in our memory from different experiences over long periods of time of living and dying in a human body. And this is why Maharaji says, witnessing takes place, but there's really nothing to be done. You have total freedom, and it is total freedom for one who does not identify with the body. When we identify with the body, we don't have that total freedom. We don't experience that magic as deeply as we can experience it. Oh, we can see magic tricks at a in Las Vegas or wherever else we go to see a magician on stage. And we can feel the beauty of a rose opening up. But do we see ourselves appearing and disappearing throughout the process? 
do we feel the flow of this divine consciousness coming in and out of us and into everything that we see and feel and hear and taste? No, at later levels we do though. At deeper levels, we'll feel the flow of divine celestial consciousness coming from the macrocosm into our microcosmic world through our awareness, through our life force. And we'll feel that same celestial consciousness flowing out of us. And we are that celestial consciousness and we are that flow and we are that creative process as it creates the thoughts and the visions and the tastes and experiences of body awareness. If that isn't magic, I don't know what is. Which is why, again, as Agadatta says, and he doesn't embellish it with dramatic words like magic that I just use, these very simple, but in simplicities, tremendous message. Witnessing takes place, but there's nothing to be done. It is total freedom for one who does not identify with the body. We can see things getting done. They're not done by us. Whether we're simply listening to words that the mind says, or we're watching as a flower opens up, not just to the sky, it's opening up to the sky and the world that we're in, but it's opening up inside of us to all that exists at the same time. And we are that opening up, you see. This is why Rumi cried, cried and cried when he saw roses opening up. He felt his own soul opening up completely into a divine communion. with source consciousness as it opened up to love, nurture, and sustain the rest of the entire cosmos. Vera had the same experiences. Guru Nanak, of course, as well. Many saints as well. The difference between being in the mind and being in consciousness, it doesn't take anything more than a single breath, than a single flick, flicker of light, more than a single movement of an energy frequency to move from one state to the other. As we go deeper into consciousness, we can go back and forth between levels of consciousness in a tiny little fraction of a second. In fact, it happens so smoothly that honestly, it doesn't even happen. <laughs> we think in, in, when we're in a 3D body, 4D awareness, we think that things happen Things happen in sequences, in measurable sequences, in measurable elements of time. 
We don't think that way once we're in consciousness. There's no thinking to act. Everything is smooth. Everything is like a celestial ballet, beautiful, beautiful ballet that's never ending. It's like, you know, when you see, I was lucky enough to see Nuria in Swan Lake and a few other ballets. He's jumping, legs stretched out, and it's like he's floating in the air forever. Life itself is that type of ballet once we're deep inside. It's just a never-ending state of immaculate beauty. It's incredibly amazing. And so the disciple reacts to Nizagadatta and says, everything is happening on its own and I have no concern with it. And then Maharaj says, if that is so, it means that you have understood everything. There's no longer any need to linger around with me. <laughs> He's subtly telling the disciple that, oh, you know, you might have a little bit more to learn yet. <laughs> but it's okay. You can stay as long as you want. I enjoy your company. Another question, a different person says, it's different for me. I have to make an effort not to get involved in thoughts. And we've all been there. We all go there. It happens day to day, even sometimes for saints. Yeah, it might surprise you, it's true. He says, it is the nature of the life force to express itself through thoughts and words so they will keep on coming. If you have to make an effort in the beginning not to get involved, then make that effort until it is simply effortless. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. We all start that way. Effort is good in the beginning. <laughs> Nothing wrong with effort. You know, it's sometimes though, in just finding a bubble of consciousness, it's nothing more than having a certitude of that celestial awareness. If we've seen the big picture, if we've heard the big picture, if we understood the big picture, even just conceptually, that's enough. If we then simply have faith in that big picture and don't look at anything else, except wherever it is, however we're looking at that big picture, and we relax lovingly, silently, calmly, the essence of that big picture will become us. It'll be our awareness. It just happens automatically. When the time is right, it simply happens automatically. There's nothing else that we need to do. And in the beginning, you know, the first time that happens, it's, oh my God, oh my God, wow. <laughs> but after a while, we simply realize that it's the magic of this divine, immortal consciousness that we are. And we're either there or we're not, but even when we're not, it's just a, a flicker of light away. It's that close to our awareness. So in the beginning, all we need is a is certitude, a strong faith, silent, 
faith in the fact that we're more than just a mind-body awareness. We are this immortal awareness. Just that certitude, that's what we are. Then you see, we can ignore everything else in the beginning. We can just ignore thoughts that I can't do this, or I can't do that, or I haven't had this, or I haven't had that. Eh. <laughs> Stop wishing and hoping. And we'll, you'll actually be that. That's what psychopathics are politely saying here. If you have to make an effort in the beginning not to get involved, oh, by all means, make that effort. Until it simply becomes effortless. No big deal. Does the yani, another question of sense, does the disciple, spiritually minded disciple, have a mind and thoughts as well? And Maharaj, he says, although thoughts come and go, the yani is simply not concerned. Thoughts come, thoughts go. Yeah. Even with saints, thoughts come, thoughts go. It happens. Thoughts will come in consciousness. Witnessing also takes place in consciousness. But we simply must develop the conviction, the understanding eventually, the flow eventually, that we are consciousness, become self-evident that we are nothing but consciousness. Thereafter, there's nothing for you to do. Leave it to the consciousness to what is to be done. Whatever happens will happen spontan spontaneously. Doesn't matter. Another question says, what is the seat of consciousness? He says, in every particle of the juice of the body, yeah, that's, our consciousness co-creates every aspect of the body and refreshes it, nurtures it, and sustains it every second. You know, we say that we have to learn, you know, that the divine consciousness loves, nurtures, sustains every aspect of consciousness in the cosmos, which is true. But I'm probably guilty of not explaining that your own consciousness does that as well. It loves, nurtures, and sustains every cell of your body, every second that you're alive in a body. We're a mini-me copy of God consciousness. We create the way that divine consciousness creates everything in the cosmos. We also love, nurture, sustain, and stay interconnected with every one of the hundred trillion molecules of our body in the same way that this divine celestial consciousness stays uh, interconnected with every aspect of consciousness that exists within the entire celestial field of consciousness. We are, in other words, constantly practicing some of the most subtle aspects of celestial awareness every single day of our life, even though we're not aware of it. Even though we're not aware of it, we're acting like a mini-me copy of God. Because in fact, we are. 
a mini me copy of that creative vortex and the anami consciousness and the source consciousness. We are mini me copy of that, all of those states of all of those types of consciousness, celestial consciousness at the same time. We're just not aware of it. We're simply not aware of it. So he says, the questioner again asks, where's the seat of consciousness? Where's the seat? Where's the source of consciousness? He says, what's in every particle of the juice of the body? There is no place where it isn't. The source of your consciousness is already everywhere. Wow. We think sometimes, especially in the beginning, and I did as well, that, you know, we have to go beyond the mind and the soul and the very core of our soul, that's where the seat of our consciousness is. Well, that's true. And in the beginning, that's a great way of thinking because you, that way you, we will allow ourselves to float to the middle of our awareness. But the truth is, even when you get to the, into the first bubble of awareness, we have a totality of consciousness, do we not? We are every aspect of awareness within that bubble of awareness. Every, every, every other cell in your body is a bubble of awareness. All of the spaces between all the cells of your body is a different bubble of awareness. And your consciousness, your field of consciousness in your soul, if you want to call it that, goes far beyond the field of your first level of awareness, first state of awareness, and the first bubble of awareness. That consciousness is actually interconnected to every other bubble of consciousness in your body from the very first experience of consciousness in the very first bubble of awareness. In fact, your awareness, your real true awareness at even deeper levels than of your own soul, even deeper levels in your own soul, can feel the vibrations of every other bubble of awareness in the entire cosmos. And it is through those vibratory feelings that your consciousness is constantly being loved and nurtured and sustained by every other aspect of consciousness in the entire celestial cosmos and vice versa. Whether we realize it or not, our own consciousness is constantly loving, nurturing, sustaining, supporting every other aspect of consciousness in the entire cosmos already. We're just not having that experience, but it is happening. If it wasn't happening thus, how would everyone have the equal opportunity to eventually reach that through the core of their own soul? We don't really reach those levels of consciousness, you see. We already are all of those levels of consciousness. 
And this is what Nisargadatta is saying here. Questioner asks, where is the seat, the core of consciousness? He says, it's in every particle of the juice of that magical consciousness that flows everywhere throughout your body and, and, and is every absolute consciousness and every bubble of consciousness everywhere in your body. He says, in the scriptural books of Vedas, it is normally given that there are various chakras. These are all available if you want to locate them like that. But according to me, these chakras exist throughout every aspect of the body. You remember we talked many, many times about the white skeleton practice at Bodhidharma Caves. And he taught us to go into the first tiny little bubble of consciousness in the left toe and think of it as a chakra, exploding, expanding with its own auras and by loving it, by putting our energy, our life force as it is, the full power of our life force in that chakra, that tiny little molecule, it's one of the 70 million or 100 million trillion molecules in the body, it expands and expands and expands the same way a chakra in your body expands. We all know that the heart chakra expands when we love some more. We all know that the crown chakra opens up when our eye center chakra opens up once we reach the eye center. We begin to feel the tingling at the back of the head just before we even get to the eye center. Almost everyone will feel that at some point. It expands when we love, nurture, and sustain. As we're loving, nurturing, and sustaining every cell within our body, that, that cell becomes more vibrant, more alive, more energetic. We live longer. We live healthier. And we live as long as we're also meant to live as a body. But if we stay in mind-body awareness, it doesn't matter, does it? It's, no, it doesn't matter at all. It does not matter at all. You know, once you're at that level, you don't worry about living or dying. You don't worry about being born again or not being born again. You don't worry about having a body or not having a body. It's just silly putty. What does a child do when you give them some silly putty and you put them down in a playpen with silly putty? Eventually they make little bodies, right? people and tear them apart, throw them away, make another body. And guess what we're doing every second of the day as adults? We're taking this soul consciousness, which we call silly buddy. We're creating and recreating, destroying and redestroying the human body every microsecond of weeks, whether we really realize it or not. So the questioner then asks, let's go deeper into this. He's thinking very quickly. He's learning very quickly, expanding his consciousness very quickly. So he asks Maharaji, what is the difference then between the body and the consciousness? Aha. Uh -huh. This is going to be an interesting answer. Uh -huh. He says, well, what is the difference between sugar and sweetness? 
depends on whether you only think about yourself as sugar or you think about yourself as sweetness. That's the real answer. He says the sweetness is there in the sugar cane juice. In the body, the sweetness is the knowledge or the wisdom that you have. It's the consciousness. And this consciousness is due to what? What is the prerequisite of consciousness? And the questioner says, is it the body? He says, no, the body is simply there to sustain consciousness. For the body to be food is necessary, is it not? And he says, yes. He says, if the body does not remain, body consciousness, mind-body consciousness will not remain. But he says, now think about it, my disciple. In the absence of both the body and mind-body consciousness, what are you? And the disciple says, I, I, I don't know. Ah, now, says Maharaji, you want to get some benefit, some advantage for yourself. To whom is the benefit? And the, the disciple says, consciousness. Maharaji is still playing with him here. If you're not the body or the mind-body consciousness, but you're still awake, then what are you? Ah, when you realize the self-wisdom, then the self itself is realized, it's liberated, it disappears, and you just become the wisdom, the wisdom of celestial awareness. The question says, then what? <laughs> she says, well, then you know definitely who and what you are. The body's disappeared, and yet you're conscious. He says, then you know who and what you really are. That by which you know, you know that also. It's a deja vu experience. You know that you're immortal in, the, in that first bubble of awareness. And this is what he's saying here. And the question says, is that liberation? Maharaji says, liberation means what? It is simply, the body is simply no more there. Your concepts of mind-body awareness are simply no more there. He flicks his cigarette lighter off and on. He says the cigarette lighter is like the body, the consciousness, the wisdom is the uh, clear awareness is the flame. Now it isn't there anymore, it's liberated. What is the need to label it in the absence of consciousness? That's a good question, isn't it? Why talk about clear awareness when we are clear awareness? Don't we lose our clear awareness the minute we give it a label? In the beginning, yes, we do. At Nisargadatta's level, he doesn't. Nisargadatta's level, he floats. Let's let the sermon come and go. Sometimes he's listening to the sermon, sometimes he isn't. He's never thinking about the answers, never constructing the answers, never constructing the lessons. They just come and go like so much breeze in a garden. We're all living in the same garden. And that breeze of pure, clear awareness, that same breeze of clear pure, clear awareness 
is flowing everywhere within this garden that we're in. We either think of ourselves as a member of the garden, or we feel the breeze that we are, this breeze of pure, loving, naturing, sustaining, celestial awareness that we are. Every one of us is at the core, nothing but, but always that, that clear celestial awareness. And all we have to do is know that we are, have faith in the fact that we are in the beginning. If we've had a single experience of pure clear awareness, when we're beginning our meditation, ignore everything else that isn't that microsecond of pure clear awareness. And in less time than we can realize, we reemerge as nothing but that pure clear awareness. And we have that same experience in usually even greater way than we had it before. This is the philosopher's stone that he was popular with alchemists and mages and saints in the early years of civilization. It's the Taoist tablet that was rumored to have so many magical powers in ancient China. It's the lamp that Christ carried with him at all times. It's the magic lamp that many Sufis, many mystical Sufis of olden times, of magical times rubbed to feel and experience the magic within them. This microsecond of experience that we've all had from time to time. When we sit for meditation, all we have to do is have a certitude of faith in that awareness. The beauty and the magic and the power, the amazing celestial, blessing that this awareness is and ignore everything else that isn't this experience of awareness. Be patient, just wait, just ignore everything else. And that awareness will be everything that we are in the very next second without us ever seeing it coming, it will arise and we will become that awareness. It's that easy. And also that difficult to grasp. <laughs> it can't be grasped with the mind, but it's everything when we're not in the mind. Namaste.